0: Today, during this episode of the Concast, we answer the question, following a surgery, should you get your scar worked on? 36. I'm a registered massage therapist and sports injury therapist practicing 45 minutes outside of Toronto, Ontario in Canada. And the Concast is a podcast where we discuss all things health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to understand better the human body. For episode 36, I've chosen a topic that was asked to me by a listener. And this person asked the question, After I get a surgery, is it important for me to get my scar worked on? And this is a topic that I love talking about, so I'm really excited for today's episode to delve more into superficial scars and wounds, uh, especially following a surgery, and whether or not it would be of benefit uh, to you uh, or of benefit as a therapist to be manipulating a patient's scar following a surgery or an injury where they have a scar. Let's start first by discussing what a scar is. A scar is a formation of fibrous tissue that replaces skin uh, and the amount of fibrous tissue that is replaced is variable depending upon the degree of the surgery, the injury, the cut, or the wound. And this is as a result of a trauma, a surgery, or a physiological process. Something going on in the body that's causing a scar. Now, when a scar is present, the type of tissue that's there, this fibrous tissue, or type 3 collagen, is a little bit different than the type of tissue that was there originally. And when this tissue comes into the area, it brings along with it a few new things. So the first thing that it will bring is it will become hypervascularized, or it will bring in new blood flow and increase the blood flow within the area of the scar. The other thing that it will bring in is it will bring in free nerve endings so neo innervation or new free nerve endings and the density of these nerve endings will be increased in the area that the scar was formed and this can bring about a few potentials for complication things like increased sensation or sensitivity to the area of the scar increased perception of pain at times It can make the scar look unsightly for some patients, and we'll discuss this a little bit later in the podcast as to some of the reasons why you might choose as a patient to get your post-surgical scar manipulated. So as I was preparing for this podcast, I wanted to try and get some statistics on the number of surgeries that are done in my country, Canada, over the course of a year, and that was just too difficult to come up with. But I did grab some statistics. So with respect to cesarean sections following birth, um, this statistic is taken from the cesarean section delivery rate review in 2015, which was the most recent data that I could find. In that review, it says anywhere from 45 to 36% of all births result in cesarean section. And one of the things that was dictating the percentage of people that would get a C-section was the center that they were born in. So whether it be a city center with plenty of hospitals uh, and teaching hospitals available to them or whether they were in a smaller center. So depending upon the center that you're in, one third roughly of all births and deliveries are done through cesarean section. For every C-section that we have, we're going to have an associated cesarean section scar with it. If we look at uh, burns where a lot of research on scar manipulation comes from, these statistics are taken from canadianskin.ca. The most recent statistics that they had were from uh, 2005-2006 where there were more than uh, 3,200 burns reported in that year and then from uh, ages 0 to 19 from 94 to 2003 there were 10,000 burn cases reported for that period of time. So quite a substantial number i then wanted to try and find out surgeries so things like shoulder surgery knee surgery hip surgery how many of those would be performed a year and i wasn't really that successful in finding total statistics one statistic that i did find was from 2014 and 15 regarding hip and knee surgeries uh, done in canada During that year, there were 51,272 total hip replacements and four thousand three hundred forty-seven revision surgeries, as well as there were 61,421 total knee surgeries done and 4,185 revisions done. So roughly about 115,000 just knee and hip surgeries. This doesn't include any of the other things that we would receive a scar for, things like a mole removal general surgery wrist surgery so you can imagine that during the course of the year there are millions of surgeries that go on in canada alone and then many many more worldwide as well as just your generalized slip and fall and traumatic scars so there's ample opportunity for scars to become complicated during the healing process potentially lead to a little bit of complexity in healing, maybe some increased symptoms and increased pain. When we talk about the types of scars, there are really four major types of scars. The first type of scar is probably the more popular type, or the one that you're going to see most often. That's known as a hypertrophic scar. These scars are thick and wide and flush with the skin, and they form due to an excess formation of type 3 collagen during the healing process. And type 3 collagen is this sort of tissue that wasn't there before the injury. These are also formed by an excessive amount of tension on the skin during the healing process. The second type of scar is known as an atrophic scar. And an atrophic scar is a pitted scar or a sunken scar in the skin. We see this a lot in adolescence due to the development of acne and acne scars are often pitted or sunken and we can also see these scars or type of scars in puncture wounds. These scars form typically due to a lack of collagen as well as some other materials called fibrins during the healing process. The third type of scar is a scar known as a keloid scar This is a raised thickened scar on the skin. This is different than a hypertrophic scar, which are typically flush with the skin. This is also due to an excess amount of collagen. And we do see some cultural factors that come into play with keloid scars, where black individuals as well as Asian individuals have a higher likelihood of developing keloid scars. The other thing that's important to note is that if somebody already has a keloid scar somewhere else on the body, the likelihood of them developing a keloid scar from their current surgery or injury is a little bit more likely. So that's important to note with regards to keloid scars. So keloid scars are hypertrophic scars that are raised uh, upon the skin as opposed to flush on the skin. The fourth type of scar is a contractile scar. Contractile scars are formed due to persistent action of a cell known as the myofibroblast during the healing process and we see these scars common post-surgery as well as the majority of burn scars are contractile in nature. These scars are typically glued down to the skin or tacked down to the skin or adjoining bone or surfaces and we see very multi-directional restrictions in them which means if you try to manipulate the skin in any way they're really tacked and glued down to the skin and therefore uh, quite difficult to manage and deal with. The fifth and final type of scar is a mixed scar so often you can see any of the four types mixed into one scar type so part of the scar might be contractile, part of it might be keloid, part of it might be hypertrophic. It really depends on Again, the mechanism of injury that caused the scar, was this a surgery? Was this an open fracture, for example, or a a burn or a scrape or a cut that was infected or not infected? There are so many factors that go into the type of scar that the individual is going to get or present with. I guess the next question is, why would we want to manipulate scars, or why would you even want to consider getting your scar worked on in the first place? So there's some evidence to suggest that scars can change sensation in the area. So depending upon the peripheral sensory nerves that run through the area, you might have a change in sensation following the development of a scar. This might become anesthetic where you can't feel that patch of skin, or it might be numb and tingly in that area. It can also be itchy, so it can create this sensation known as puritis, or it can become swollen or red in appearance as well as the most common reason that someone would come in is because the scar is actually painful or causing the patient to experience pain or tightness and this is carrying over into the range of motion so this might affect the range of motion of the limb or a number of joints or a joint and ultimately it's affecting their activities of daily living this might be from a functional standpoint as in they can't do things that they love Or it might be from an appearance standpoint in that they see the scar as unsightly and they simply don't want it to look the way that it looks or it feels hard to the touch and they want it to be a little bit more pliable in nature. There's a number of reasons as to why people might pursue the manipulation of a scar by a therapist. Now as the therapist that's doing the manipulation, the first thing that I want to look at before Manipulating a scar is I want to rule out contraindications, which are things essentially that would lead me to not Manipulating the scar. The first is are there still stitches staples? uh, Or is the scar still glued? So is the scar too acute essentially for me to manipulate and if the answer to any of those questions is yes then I'm not going to be going ahead with working on that scar. The second is Is there any exudate coming from the scar? So is the scar bleeding? Is the scar infected and there's a discharge coming from it? Then again I need to refer back to the family doctor to make sure that that scar is not infected. Uh, The tissue quality of the area is healthy and the scar is able to be manipulated if I choose to do so and the patient agrees to it. And then the last uh, contraindication for me is the scar is too painful. So for whatever reason Uh, maybe it's too early in the healing process, maybe that person is merely too sensitive in that area at this time, then I'm not going to be manipulating the scar because the carryover of them being in too much discomfort does not outweigh the benefit of me going through the manipulation at that period in time. So after we establish the reasons as to why we might manipulate, we want to then rule out the reasons as to why we can't or why we may not manipulate the scar for... That particular person. Now as a therapist that's going to be manipulating the scar I like to go through my own little process that I want to share with you that I've found to be helpful to me over the years. The first question I ask myself is, is the scar healed? Which goes back to those contraindications. So is the scar healthy? Are all the stitches or staples removed? There's no discharge? It's not bleeding? Adequate amount of time has gone by which typically is around 14 days. Does the appearance of the tissue look healthy? Is there any fragile skin around the area that could cause the the scar or the wound to reopen? These are two questions that I start asking. The second question I want to ask myself is, is this a keloid scar? So is this a raised scar off of the skin and is it still healing? So if this is an acute keloid scar, there are certain things or techniques that I don't want to do to it because I imagine that it may make the keloid scar worse. So I don't want to do any suction-based techniques. So in burn research, there is a lot of suction massage that's done. In massage therapy or manual therapy in general, we're starting to see carryover of that through the use of cupping or cupping massage where a cup is applied to the skin and moved over the area in an attempt to free up some of the tissue, as well as some of the underlying tissue. If a scar is a keloid scar, I am hesitant about doing those techniques, because the scar is already raised, and I imagine that doing those techniques may in fact make the scar worse potentially. And we're never really going to know, but I always like to err on the side of caution there. For keloid scars, I will choose more linear techniques and we'll talk about some of the techniques that I use a little bit later. Now the next question I want to ask myself is after the scar has been ruled out to be keloid, is it a pitted or atrophic scar? Because things like suction massage and cupping might be indicated for these. If the scar is sunken down in the skin, using a technique that might apply some suction to the skin might help lift that pitting or atrophic scar from the underlying layers as well as improve some of the tissue mobility and tissue quality. I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is when we look at these superficial scars, whether it be from a surgery or an injury, they really are kind of a bit of the tip of the iceberg as to what's going on underneath the skin. We've got our epidermis, and then underneath the skin we've got the dermis. And in between those layers we have these skin ligaments or something known as retinaculum cutis superficialis. And they are responsible for helping discriminate things like sensation along with many of the other receptors that are in the skin, which help talk to our nervous system. And they help with things like the appreciation of space, the appreciation of movement, joint position, the ability to sense different sensations, hot, cold, vibration, nociception, which can be converted into pain. So the skin is a very sensory rich organ and it is the largest organ that's synapsing or communicating with our external environment. So if the scar is not keloid or it is not atrophic or pitted, then chances are it's one of the remaining two. It's either a hypertrophic scar or a contractile scar. Now when we look at the research for manipulation of scars, there is not a lot of strong evidence there to support the manipulation of scars in controlled research. The majority of the research comes from burns and the use of manipulating the scar tissue following a burn and it is readily used in uh, those practices in the hospital setting it continues to be used regardless of whether or not there is definitive evidence for it in the research there seems to be anecdotal evidence for it in practice some of these benefits would include pliability of the scar Coloring of the scar, improvement in range of motion, improvement in things like quality of life and lifestyle. The thing about scar research is we can't go back in time and compare a scar now and say whether there'd be a difference if we manipulated it versus if we did not manipulate it. So that's one of the difficult things about scar research and manual therapy research in general. In terms of manual therapy, and the manipulation of scars, there really isn't a lot of, of research that's available to us. And again, the, the burn research is a very specialized subset of the population. And as I've said in the podcast, there are so many reasons why we might have a scar. It could be from surgery, it could be from a slip and fall. And the severity of the scar does not necessarily dictate that that scar would be more painful than somebody with a smaller scar. So that's another important piece of the puzzle. There is a really old study from 2004 by Carl Levitt that looks at, I think it was 56 people that were in the study, and they were going through scar manipulation, and they had some subjective measures that they were looking at, and they found improvement in a number of the outcomes that they looked at. Now mind you, these weren't objective measures, they were more subjective things like Did the scar feel better? Was it less painful? Did it look better? Was it softer to the touch? Was it more pliable? And in that study, the subjects were manipulated two to three times a week for a total of four to eight weeks. Also in that study, there was some hot hydrotherapy, whether that be a hot compress or a hot towel that was applied to the area prior to manipulation. And they really tried to do something soothing to the area after they manipulated the scar. One of the things we know about heat is while heat might not change blood flow in deeper structures of the body, it does increase blood flow between the the epidermis and the dermis, so the skin and the underlying layers as well as sometimes into the superficial fascial layer. So when you apply heat to the skin you do get an increased blood flow to the superficial aspects of the body and so this might improve things like the ability to take a scar and make it more pliable, but it appears and based on some of the other principles that are taught in manual therapy that doing some sort of warm-up to the area to try and improve the mobility of the general area may be of benefit when you actually get into manipulating the, the scar proper. Now in terms of specific manual therapy techniques that are applied to scars, They're not that difficult. Essentially, a lot of it just has to do with manipulating the skin. So you might do skin rolling, which is picking up the skin and rolling it around. You might pull the skin upward and twist the skin. Uh, Like I said, there is suction massage and cupping that exists where you're using sort of a negative pressure to pull the skin off of the underlying surface. Uh, And then you can use techniques like pinning and stretching the skin or gentle long hold techniques around the scar. For quite some time now, friction massage has been discussed around scars. Uh, I have a tendency to not do that technique. I find it to be a little bit uh, too, if you want to use the word aggressive for me, as well as if I'm picturing the physiology of how a scar is formed and tissues really being laid down due to irritation, I'm a little bit hesitant to do really aggressive techniques with the thought process that this might cause further excess laydown of collagen and perpetuate the problem rather than helping it. Again there's not really any research or evidence to support that but that's just my thought process based on how scars are formed and the physiology of them. So my philosophy is in my practice I will manipulate scars based on any of the criteria that we talked about. So someone's coming in with pain or discomfort, the scar is unsightly or it's affecting their activities of daily living and I want to assess the scar, and typically I'll assess the scar by moving the skin in four directions, kind of lengthwise and then side to side. I may rotate it a bit, and then I typically want to move the scar into the position that it's not really moving as well. So if it's not moving up towards the shoulder as well, then I might do my techniques in that direction, and I'm continually monitoring it subjectively to see whether that tissue softens, whether the range of motion improves in the pattern that the patient is aggravated by, whether their sensation improves so it's a little bit more comfortable in that area, they're experiencing less discomfort and pain, the scar visually is looking better. And then following the treatment, I want to teach the patient how to manipulate their scar at home so they can do it quite frequently, especially if this is during the healing process. And typically, I'm suggesting that the person's manipulating the scar two to three times a day. The earlier in the healing process, the better than later. And then after that, I want them to be moving. And often what I find is that if the person is experiencing a reduction in range of motion, or let's say they are, they've got a C-section scar, and when they reach overhead, they feel pulling in the abdominal area, I want them to move into that aggravating pattern, but have symptoms be their guide. And so often I find that this isn't as easy as just stretch this leg. Sometimes it's a bit of a weird pattern where they might have to reach over their head and twist a little bit so they feel that sensation of tightness or tone in the tissue. And I dynamically just get them to move into that pattern. So I'll just say, reach and twist, back down, reach and twist. I don't really have them hold that position but I might have them do 15 to 20 repetitions after they manipulate the scar and have them do that two to three times a day. In terms of how long I'll do that for, I typically go back to that Levitt study and I'll say from anywhere from a four to eight week period until they see the resolution of the symptoms that they've come in for. I found for my own practice that that's been quite successful. And once the symptoms have resolved themselves, I haven't really had any patients that have come back with kind of a recurrence of The symptoms from that particular scar. So I guess in summary to answer that question I think it is beneficial to manipulate scars whether it be post-surgery post burn um, whether the person has a cut from from a substantial fall but I do want them to meet that criteria of the wounds closed any sutures or staples are out of it and it's not infected and it's not too painful for the patient. Now, are there instances where I won't manipulate the scar? And there definitely are. And one of these cases is, is in looking at the scar's appearance. So if I have a scar that is a hypertrophic scar, so it's flush with the skin, but it's very, very wide, so the scar is wide and it has this appearance of a stretch mark, then those scars typically have a little bit more elastin than collagen in them. And especially if that person... Is presenting to me with a connective tissue disorder so they're a hypermobile individual or they've got something like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or Marfan syndrome and I already know that their tissue is very very pliable as well as the joints and the tissues around the joints are more pliable I have a tendency to not really touch those scars as typically you do want that stiffness to develop because those patients are already working with a very very mobile platform so outside of the, the actual physical nature of the scar, we have to consider the person that's presenting to you as well. Are they already a hypermobile individual? And there are, for the clinicians out there, a number of different tests that we can do, as well as health history questions that we can ask. And typically in those cases, with those very broad, flat, more elastic scars, I have a tendency to not touch those. Outside of those reasons, I can't really think of any other reasons... Or instances where I wouldn't manipulate a scar outside of maybe some some medications that are causing some contraindications as well. I found it to be quite beneficial in my practice but again I'm speaking anecdotally. My question for you is if you are a patient that's gone through surgery did you have complications with your post-surgical scar and did getting some manual therapy to it help resolve your issues Uh, as well as if you're a therapist Are you manipulating scars on a regular basis in your practice? Do you find it to be beneficial? I'd love to know in the comments below. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you in the next one.